Father, our holy God, you speak to us in many ways, but the most powerful can be your word. And we ask that you'll prepare our hearts, soften our hearts, open our hearts to hearing and receiving your word today. Please help us to understand and to be able to apply what we learn so that we are more equipped to live for you, to bring you glory. Amen. Reading from Isaiah 32 today, starting at verse 1. See, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed and the ears of those who hear will listen. The fearful heart will know and understand and the stammering tongue will be fluent and clear. No longer will the fool be called noble, nor the scoundrel be highly respected. For fools speak folly, their hearts are bent on evil. They practice ungodliness and spread error concerning the Lord. The hungry they leave empty, and from the thirsty they withhold water. Scoundrels use wicked methods. They make up evil schemes to destroy the poor with lies. Even when the plea of the needy is just. But the noble make noble plans, and by noble deeds they stand. You women who are so complacent, rise up and listen to me. You daughters who feel secure, hear what I have to say. In little more than a year, you will feel secure. You who feel secure will tremble, the grape harvest will fail, and the harvest of fruit will not come. Tremble, ye complacent women, shudder, ye daughters who feel secure, strip off your fine clothes and wrap yourselves in rags. Beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruit of the vine, and for the land of my people, a land overgrown with thorns and briars, yes, mourn for all houses of merriment and for the city of revelry. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted. Citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever, the delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks. Till the spirit is poured out on us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field and the fertile field seems like a forest. The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Though hail flattens the forest, and the city is levelled completely, how blessed you will be, sowing your seed by every stream 
and letting your cattle and donkeys range free. Uh, great to be here together and uh, my name's Duncan. If we haven't met, it'd be great to catch up afterwards. Uh, we are looking at this passage from Isaiah. We're actually looking at two chapters, the one we just had read and the next one along. But we'll be mostly focusing on that chapter, chapter 32. Uh, but uh, they'll, up on the screen behind me, there'll be a map showing. It'll, it's a bit of a, it's a different kind of a map. It's a history map. Uh, and it shows the last 5,000 years of the history of empires and nations around the world. I just find it really fascinating. It's, you, you can't make out the details from where you're sitting. Uh, but um, you can see, you can kind of get the general idea. Um, it's a map that kind of plots the, all the empires through world history. Uh, and when you see it in one go like this... Um, what sort of stands out is that there's one sort of constant through it all, which is that there's no constant through it all, right? Uh, kingdoms rise and fall. Um, uh, kingdoms, and you can see it all the way through world history, the rise and fall of these kingdoms, of these empires. Well, uh, friends, the amazing claim of the Bible is that Though the nations rage, this is a song that we sometimes sing here, you might remember these words, though the nations rage and kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. There is still one king reigning over all. So these chapters, Isaiah 32 and 33, are about that king and that kingdom. They're about that king and that kingdom. Uh, just a, a bit of context if you're joining us for the first time and it's just helpful to kind of have a bit of, of a refresher. We're, we're coming to the end of um, the, one of the major sections of the book of Isaiah, the first part, half of Isaiah after uh, chapter 35 and we'll finish off that next week looking at chapter 35. Um, uh, and what's going on at the time is uh, there's uh, this vicious empire called Assyria. Um, and it's up on there. You probably you won't be able to make it out, I guess. Uh, but it is up there. This vicious empire called Assyria, threatening God's people, threatening the people of Judah, and their king, King Hezekiah. Uh, and so we saw what we saw last week. If you were with us, uh, Judah and Hezekiah and the people of Judah, they're all they're pinning their hopes on one of those empires up there. They're pinning on their hopes on the nation of Egypt. Now that that nation of Egypt. Uh, is just a thin blue strip um, uh, about, uh, it's kind of in the first part there. You might be able to just make out that thin blue strip, the nation of Egypt. And Judah are pinning all their hopes on this thin blue strip <laughs> uh, on the map. Um, Isaiah, but what Isaiah uh, urges, and what you'll see, actually, if you, if you can see that, uh, what you'll see is about the time that Isaiah's writing and, and this is all going on, that thin blue strip is actually about to come to an end. And Isaiah urges the people of Judah, he says, don't turn to Egypt. Don't turn to Egypt. Uh, turn to the Lord. Turn away from the kingdoms of this world. Turn back to God and trust in the kingdom he is building. Trust in the kingdom he's building. And so what he does in this chapter and the next one that we'll look at today, what he does is uh, Isaiah, he goes on to sort of show us what that kingdom's like and how that kingdom's going to come about. We're going to spend most of our time, as I said, in chapter 32, but we'll touch on chapter 33 at the end. Uh, so let's dive in. Uh, if you have Bibles open, that'll help. The text will come up on the screen as well. You should have an outline of the sermon in your, in your handout too that might help you kind of keep up to where we're up to uh, and if you're a note-taking type. Um, so uh, Isaiah opens up uh, in chapter 32, verse 1, 
See, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. It's such a beautiful picture that Isaiah paints, isn't it? Uh, this king reigning in righteousness who's like a shelter, a refuge from the storms of life, streams of water in the desert. Um, he's the, a shadow that you go and rest in in a thirsty land. But it's so far from Judah's actual experience of their kings. Uh, if you know anything about the, the history of Judah and their kings, it's like one dodgy king after another with a few exceptions along the way. Uh, but even the exceptions weren't like this. Not fully. Even the exceptions weren't like that. But, but this king, Isaiah says, is going to come, will be perfectly, wonderfully righteous. He'll be right in everything he does. Uh, his presence for his, will be like this shelter for his people. He'll like cool water on a thirsty land. Uh, and his righteousness, did you notice on the way, his righteousness is going to filter down through his kingdom. It's not just the king will be righteous, but the leaders over his people will be righteous too. Uh, even the leaders under him are made righteous. And as you keep going, it's not just that. It keep, his righteousness keeps filtering down so that even the people are transformed. Uh, verse 3, Then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed. The ears of those who hear will listen. Uh, eyes and ears and hearts and tongues all working properly as you read on. Um, it's not primarily talking about physical blindness or deafness, but it's a spiritual one. And Isaiah has talked about this before. Uh, on the way through, we've picked this up. Uh, he's talking to people who are spiritually blind and deaf. Uh, they can't and won't hear God's word to them. Uh, it's nonsense. You remember a few weeks back, the people hear God's word, but it's like just nonsense to them. It's like meaningless babble in their ears. But not in this kingdom. That's not going to be the case. Here, people are made whole. Um, this spiritual blindness is going to lead to uncertainty. Uh, having their eyes and ears opened will change them. Verse 4 The fearful heart will know and understand. The stammering tongue will be fluent and clear. There'll be this solidity to them, a certainty, a stability, a clarity of their mind and their heart because a righteous king is reigning over his people who he makes righteous. And a people who hear his word and trust in him. And that all means that these people are going to be able to see clearly. As you keep reading, Isaiah fills this out in verse 5. No longer will, be the, will the fool be called noble or the scoundrel be respected, highly respected. So Isaiah looks out at the people and that's what he sees. He sees fools being elevated and called noble. He sees scoundrels being sort of elevated in society and respected. Verse 6, they speak folly. Their hearts are bent on evil. They practice ungodliness. They spread error concerning the Lord. They aren't really concerned for others. And so you read there, they just leave the hungry empty and the thirsty without water. But what I was saying is in this kingdom, in this kingdom that God is setting up, 
Uh, all of that's going to that will be seen for what it is. You won't have fools respected and scoundrels lifted up. It's going to be seen for what it is. This folly that leads to selfishness and error. But true wisdom starts with the fear of God, and that's going to flow out to how the people live. You keep reading verse seven. Scoundrels use wicked methods. They make up evil schemes to destroy the poor with lies, even when the plea of the needy is just. So that's their scoundrels. But, verse 8, the noble make noble plans, and by noble deeds they stand. That's what God's going to do in this people, his righteousness filtering down uh, to make them noble. This idea of noble, uh, it's not a class thing in the Bible. It's a character thing, a character thing. The people of this king will be ennobled they'll be they'll be lifted up they'll be enabled to live differently wisely they'll make noble plans and they'll stand on noble deeds this is just i think it's so interesting isn't it god's god's kingdom is what you and i are made for and he wants to give us this nobility this this um Lifting us up, this ability that we don't have our own, this honour, this sense of holy purpose. And I reckon in our culture this is something that we really lack, uh, this sense of purpose, right? Um, one author put it, we're amusing ourselves to death. Uh, we have this longing for a noble calling. Um, a longing to be drawn into something bigger and a sense of purpose. And this kingdom is like that. This king is like that. A righteous king who calls his people to live lives of noble sacrifice and love for the sake of his kingdom, who ennobles us. So how can this all happen? How can it come about? Uh, what, What Isaiah does is he looks around and he sees the opposite of this. Uh, And as he goes on, he particularly focuses on the women of Judah. A bit of a strange passage to read on Mother's Day. Uh, It was a coincidence. It wasn't planned. And I did have half a thought of maybe I should skip over this. But uh, maybe that's just my own lack of faith in the word of God coming through. See, one of the striking things about the Bible is that it addresses both men and women as whole moral persons uh, who each bear a holy responsibility for our actions. Uh, Isaiah, he's actually been mostly focused on the men in his condemnation, his criticism so far, but here he does turn to the women. And so this is far from being anti-woman. To speak like this actually ennobles the women he's talking to. Um, In the Bible's framework, both men and women are created equal in God's image with all the dignity that brings and both men and women are fallen and sinful and in needs of, need of God's forgiving grace. So Isaiah talks to these women who in verse 19 he says are so complacent. Sorry, verse 9. Uh, they're, they're not listening to God's message. They're going around their lives just feeling, they're going around life feeling secure, ignoring God's word, not repenting, not turning back to him. And Isaiah calls them to hear what he has to say. Verse 10, in just over a year, disaster is going to strike. 
uh, the, the judgment of God on Judah that Isaiah has been talking about again and again is going to come about, Isaiah says. And then in verse 11, he calls these women that he's talking to to respond rightly, to repent, to recognize that they too have been going along the wrong way and to turn around. Uh, in this context, the, the women he's talking to, to get rid of their fancy clothes and put on rags as a sign of their repentance instead of parting in the city to, to mourn for the city that is under God's judgment. Well, as you read on, what is their only hope? What is the only hope not only for the women of Judah but for the men? What is the only hope for the world? The only hope is not through human effort. Uh, the only hope is that God himself would come in power and do something utterly dramatic and transforming. And that, Isaiah says, is exactly what God's going to do. That's exactly what's going to happen. Verse 14. So this, uh, this will happen. The fortress will be abandoned. The noisy city deserted. Citadel and watchtower will become wasteland forever. The delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks. This image of abandonment. And, and then verse 15. Until the Spirit is poured out on us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field and the fertile field seems like a forest. So for this kingdom to become a reality, it's going to take an incredible act of God, a pouring out of his spirit. And the effect's going to be so dramatic, so transforming, that it'll be like this. The, the desert suddenly becoming a fertile field, and the fertile field, the stalks, uh, will turn into huge tree trunks. It's going to seem like a forest. As such, he uses these evocative images to, get, to try and help us to see just the huge nature of what's going to happen here. Uh, and this isn't, this isn't a 50-year greening program. <laughs> it's a miraculous transformation through the power of God's Spirit that will bring in his righteous kingdom. Uh, verse 16, he goes on, The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. It's a total contrast, right? Uh, from the dry, barren land. And the difference between that, the difference between complacent people going about their lives, ignoring God and his word, and this kingdom of righteousness and fruitfulness and peace, the difference between these two realities is the Spirit of God poured out to give new life. Um, we've, Isaiah has already talked about God at work by his Spirit. Back in chapter 11, he's shown how this, this coming king, this stump, uh, this sorry, shoot from the stump of Jesse, will have the Spirit of God rest on him. Maybe you remember that from last year. But here what he shows is that, that, that the Spirit is going to flow out, overflow to all the, all the king's people. Now, this is going to be a day when God is going to be present with his people in a new and powerful and transforming way. And his presence is going to bring 
quietness and confidence and peace and rest. Well, you keep reading on, and we didn't read this together. Perhaps you read this yourself through the week, though. You keep reading on. Isaiah keeps showing us this kingdom that's coming. Uh, the next chapter, 33, he shows the way in which there's going to be a kingdom of victory, uh, where, the, where God is lifted up, where his enemies will be destroyed, where his people are going to live in complete safety. They're not going to fear their enemies but they're going to live in a holy fear of God, in awe of who he is and what he's done. Uh, verse 5 of chapter 33 should be up on the screen. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. So uh, Judah is faced with all these enemies, and Isaiah says... God is going to, they're not going to have any future. God is the one to fear in a, have the holy awe of for his greatness and his salvation. But what I want to do is land at the, the end of chapter 33. So um, perhaps read through that, that first part of chapter 33 in your own time. But what Isaiah does is he finishes this section by lifting, we've seen uh, the, the, the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of the spirit, it's a kingdom of victory. And what Isaiah does is he finishes by pointing us to the, the king of the kingdom. This is a kingdom with a king. In verse 17 of chapter 33, he says, Your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar. It draws our eyes to the beauty of this king. Uh, up, up to this point, the identity of this king is a little bit of a mystery. Um, when the people of Judah heard the word, like heard this sort of promise of a king coming, they must have thought, look, we've had hundreds of years of kings and none of them have come close to what you're talking about, Isaiah. Uh, we've already had hints that this king is going to be a king like no other, though. Uh, maybe you remember back in chapter 9, the famous Christmas passage we looked at last year uh, is about this king. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what we see here in these chapters we're looking at is it's not just that this one would be called mighty God in some of, kind of some abstract way or maybe some hopeful way, but uh, no, this king will be the Lord, Yahweh himself in reality, in truth, in saving power. Look, read on with me, verse 20. Look on Zion, the city of our festivals. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode, a tent that will not be moved. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its ropes broken. There, the Lord will be our mighty one. It'll be a place uh, like a it will be like a place of broad rivers and streams. No galley with oars will ride them. No mighty ship will sail them. Verse twenty-two: For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. 
So Isaiah says, this is a kingdom where God himself comes as king. Where he has poured out his spirit on his people and it will be a place of wholeness and forgiveness. Verse, he finishes off that chapter, verse 24. No one living in Zion will say, I'm ill, and the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. Well, it's an incredible picture Isaiah has painted for us, right? And it all builds this rich background for when you come to the New Testament and you hear Jesus proclaiming, repent, turn around, come back to God, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. It all builds a rich background for when we see Jesus in his baptism, as the Spirit descends on him as a dove, and the Father's voice declares, this is my Son whom I love. Or as you read on in the Gospels, Jesus boldly defeats all his enemies, the the deeper enemies of sin and suffering and sickness and death, the enemies that are, are more lasting and more vicious, even than Assyria was. And then as you keep reading on and you find as Jesus wins his greatest victory, he does it in a way no one would expect by wearing a crown made out of thorns, right? By winning forgiveness for his people at the cross and then by rising to the Father's right hand in glory and sending his spirit to fill his church and to soften hard hearts And to turn that desert into a fertile field. One God, Father, Son and Spirit reigning over all, world without end. This is the one kingdom that doesn't fall. That will never fall. This is the one kingdom that you want to be in at the end of the day. Uh, We don't see it perfectly now, do we? We all know that. (laughs) We don't see this kingdom perfectly in all its fullness now. We'll only see that when Jesus returns to make everything new, but we, we do see it truly in Jesus himself. We do see it truly in Jesus. And we do see that this is the sort of kingdom Jesus is creating by his spirit in the church in his church, in the true fulfillment of Zion, where the Lord's justice dwells and his righteousness lives. So friends, this is the kind of kingdom that God by his spirit is creating among us, here, now. As in you and in me, as we gather, as we gather in Christ our King, under his word week by week, as we gather in home groups throughout the week, as we catch up for coffee and encourage one another and spur one another on. And I, I wonder if we realise, I wonder if you realise what a miracle your church family is. That the God of heaven and earth has been working out his sovereign plan in order to create by his spirit this. In order to gather a people under King Jesus who share his righteousness who have clear eyes and steady hearts, who are ennobled by his grace to live lives for his kingdom, are people of every tribe and colour and nation who are renewed by his spirit, 
who are growing in their quietness and confidence and peace, who have their sins forgiven, and who know that Jesus has defeated every enemy, are people who live gazing at the beauty of their king. So we're not there yet. Uh, We've got a long way to go, all of us do. The kingdoms of this world still have a grip on our hearts, and they will until Jesus returns. Some of us are not yet in this kingdom, have not yet bowed to Jesus as king. Uh, Some of us are still living in the desert of your own self-rule. But this is what God's on about. This is what God's on about, friends. Now, this is what he is doing by his spirit. This is the kingdom he is building through the gospel. It's a kingdom of righteousness. It's a kingdom of the spirit. It's a kingdom where we live in our king's great victory and under his good and life-giving rule. So, friends, wherever you're at, wherever we're at, uh, the place to start and the place to go on every single day is humbly to come before God in prayer, asking him to do in you what you cannot do for yourself. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to lead us in prayer now uh, as we finish up here. Let's pray. Our great God, we know that kingdoms rise and fall. Even the kingdom of our own, ourself, <laughs> our, when we live with ourselves as our own lords, the rulers of our own lives, it only leads to the desert land. So we ask, please, Father, by your Spirit, come, fill us, refresh us, renew us, recreate us. Lord, for those here today who are not yet part of your kingdom, please do a work in their hearts to draw them to yourself so that they might enter into this kingdom of life and peace and have this quietness and confidence forever. For all of us, Father, we pray your help to live in the victory that our King has won. Uh, Please come back, help us to come back every day in humble dependence on you. We need you in everything. Uh, Lift our eyes to see the ways in which we can live the kind of lives you call us to in your kingdom. Uh, Lives of purpose. Uh, Lives free from our sin. Uh, Lives lived under your great victory. Uh, And we pray that for your glory and the building of your kingdom in Jesus precious name. Amen. Friends, let us pray. From Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And Psalm 66, all the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what God has done his awesome deeds for mankind. And so we come in prayer, pondering, wondering at the greatness of our God. We think of all the places we have been in the past week and how God reveals himself in the beauty of nature, 
the refreshing rain, the warmth and smiling embrace of the sun, the spectacular night skies, the sunrises and sunsets, beautiful flowers, crashing waves. Our God is amazing. Oh Lord, we praise and worship and thank and honour you. We praise you for your character, your compassion and kindness, your faithfulness and everlasting love, even for us. In awe of your greatness, we gain new perspective of how small we are, yet how precious to you, how deeply, eternally loved. As we think of the events of the past week, things both good and challenging, times when we have been a blessing to others and times where we have messed things up, thank you that your love does not depend on our worthiness. You love us simply because you are love and we are yours. Thank you for your forgiveness that your son Jesus came and walked this earth and experienced all the joys and challenges of humanity and suffered and died and rose victorious to, to, to declare forever our sins are forgiven. So we offer all parts of our lives to you. We know you bring healing and you work for good and you are powerful to transform even our worst disasters. Thank you, God. As we think of the events of today, Mother's Day, we would not be here today without our mothers, and we thank you for them. We thank you for all the children here in our congregation. What a gift they are. Bless their mums and strengthen them each day as they care for these little ones. We recognise, too, the challenges of this day for many people, where mothering hopes and relationships may have been difficult, those for whom this day is a reminder of great loss, regret, longing, pain. Thank you that you rejoice with those who are rejoicing and you weep with those who are weeping that in the full spectrum of human emotion, you see and understand and care. We pray for your wider church, for all the church gatherings meeting today across the Flurio. May your word be shared and your name honoured. May our churches grow in love for you and others. We think of the Trinity Network and today pray especially for our sister churches at Golden Grove and Modbury. Thank you for the growing community groups at Golden Grove and we pray for the Mother's Day Outreach Service at Modbury today. Build your church, we pray. As we think of our wider world, we bring before you the COVID tragedy unfolding in India, Nepal and other places. We thank you for scientists and medical teams working so desperately to bring vaccines and healing. We pray for your powerful intervention and that you would be mightily at work through it all. 
We pray for world bodies and governments to work cooperatively, considering the needs of all people with kindness and, and compassion. We think of the military coup in Myanmar and lift to you that situation and all those longing for freedom. We think of our CMS missionaries offering themselves and their families to serve you overseas. Today we particularly pray for Arthur and Tammy Davis with Elliot and Callum. We thank you for their staff worker Abdul, his transformed life and his commitment to serve you on campus. We ask for your provision of the right permits so the Davis family can stay in country and for your blessing on Tammy's research. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our God is on his throne, ruler, majestic, awesome. Yet we are invited to approach him with confidence, knowing we are welcome. He is longing to pour out his mercy and grace into our lives. His desire is to help us in our time of need. So we bring our prayers, those spoken and those held deep in our hearts, praying, O Lord, your will be done. Grow your love in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>